This is the Digital Corporate Communication Podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Mark Badham. And I'm Professor Vilma Luomaaho. Together we research corporate communication at Uvascular University School of Business and Economics. And we are co-editors of the Handbook of Digital Corporate Communication, or DCC. In this podcast series, we interview some of the best corporate communication scholars across the globe. Each one has written a chapter for the handbook. We ask, what is technology changing or not changing in corporate communication? And how are we dealing with the influence of technology? Today, we are talking about digital corporate communication and crisis communication, but more specifically about the crisis life cycle and the phases within that life cycle. So we have uh, here with us today, we're talking to Augustine Pang, Professor of Communication Management Practice at the Lee Kong Chan School of Business in Singapore. Uh, Augustine's research interests include crisis management and communication, image management and repair, media management and corporate communication management. Uh, He's a member of the Arthur W. Page Society in the USA the world's leading professional association for senior public relations and corporate communications executives and educators. So welcome to the podcast. Yes, Augustine. Thanks Um, for having me. Yes, we're so happy you're here. Can you start off by defining a crisis for us? Sure. A crisis uh, is... uh, typically described as a time uh, which negatively impacts the organization, uh, either in terms of reputation, in terms of its ability to deliver on its products and services. But more importantly, it has a negative impact on the image and reputation of the organization, uh, given that point in time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, it has a life cycle. How can a crisis have a life cycle? What do you mean by that? The life cycle uh, is a common instrument that uh, uh, we in working and researching in the crisis field uh, uses. Uh, And that's how we uh, argue that the best way to manage a crisis is understanding that a crisis goes through a life cycle. So Augustine, uh, why is communication important in crisis? Well, communication is important because uh, the organization that is facing a crisis needs to tell its stakeholders what it is doing before the crisis happens, what it is doing during the time the crisis is happening, and what it is doing after the crisis happens. And that's what we call crisis communication. It happens before, during, and after the crisis event. Okay. And before we move on to the particular topic of uh, crisis life cycles, perhaps you could just briefly give at least one uh, example of crisis communication. Yeah. Uh, So we are experiencing uh, a fair um, uh, uh, number of crises at this point as we speak. Uh, The COVID-19 is certainly a global crisis that has uh, 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 impacted the world. Uh, all governments have to speak to its citizens what it is doing uh, to take care of them uh, during this pandemic. Also, at the same time, we're seeing uh, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine as another major crisis. Mm. And in that regard, uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine has been able to communicate with the citizens and external world uh, through social media, as well as through his appearances 
in the various forums as well as his interviews with the mainstream media. And of course, last week, there was this unfortunate and tragic uh, shooting at Uvalde in Texas. And that's when President Biden had to speak to the nation on how they can collectively overcome the grief that they're all facing as a comforter in chief. And so some of those examples were um, external forces, uh, for, you know, forcing the crisis. Is there an example of can it happen in other ways, like internal? Of course, you're, you're perfectly right, Mark. Crisis can happen, can happen uh, uh, it can be thrusted on organisations from external forces. Crisis can happen also internally. And some of these uh, internal factors could be due to uh, internal mismanagement. It could be due to things like criminal breach of trust. It could be due to uh, uh, malpractices. It could, could be due to ethical uh, issues relating to how organizational leaders manage issues. So these are things that are generated internally and that has repercussions on the organization. Mm. Mm -hmm. So you write about crisis life cycles. What does that mean? How can a crisis have a life cycle? That's a great question. Uh, life cycle, uh, so crisis does not go through a life cycle in, uh, in most of the cases that we've seen. But uh, people like us who work a lot in the uh, field of crisis communication and management, we argue that the life cycle is a systematic and orderly way of uh, organizing knowledge uh, at each stage of a life cycle to understand how the crisis flows from one stage to the other. And uh, in each of the stages that we have posited, we recommend certain tasks organizations should do so that when it comes to the, the actual crisis or the height of the crisis, organizations need to understand and they are able to articulate what needs to be done at that particular stage. And they know how what procedures need to be followed through and what sort of communication needs to be taking place so that uh, stakeholders are kept apprised of what is going on. Okay, so can you walk us through some of these phases, Augustine? Yes, for sure. Uh, so um, the life cycle generally has uh, three or four phases or stages, as we call it. Some scholars uh, would like to say that there is a three-stage life cycle, a pre-crisis, a crisis, and a post-crisis stage. Others will call it a four-stage life cycle. Uh, for me, I use a four-stage life cycle because uh, the work that is needed to be done at each stage is more segmented and more uh, comprehensive. And uh, in, in doing so, organizations need, uh, would understand particularly at a given stage what task needs to be done or how they can prepare so that when the crisis hits the fence, they would be well prepared to manage it. Uh, one of my colleagues who work a lot on crisis communication, Professor Tim Coombs, called the life cycle a stage approach. Uh, and he says that this is a way to organize knowledge so that when something happens, before something happens, we know what to do. When something happens, we know what to do. And after the crisis happens, we know what to do. Mm -hmm. So are these life cycles universal or global or are they culturally dependent? And how fast do they progress, for example? The life cycle is universal and is universally applied 
in all contexts. So it is not cultural. Uh, it's what we call a general framework in which organizations can and should look into as they prepare for the crisis event before it happens, when it happens, and after it happens. So um, <clears throat> the different phases of the life cycle, you've probably said this, but maybe you could clarify, um, is it necessarily describing each um, phase of a typical crisis, or is it more uh, each phase applies to what a crisis communication person can do? In other words, um, um, <clears throat> are you mainly describing the, the actual phases of a, of a crisis or the phases of what corporate communications people can do in each phase? Uh, that's a great question. It is actually both. It is actually what happens before a crisis uh, and the ways in which crisis uh, uh, follow through. That's one perspective. The other perspective is given that we know how a crisis follows uh, or, or how the wave of the crisis uh, looks like, what can corporate communication do to prepare at each stage of the wave? So for example, uh, one of the, the first stage is what we call the proactive stage is when nothing really happens, but that's when crisis communication practitioners really need to work on certain things, like, for example, scanning the environment, scanning the environment for possible threats or understanding uh, what are some of the issues relating to the organization so that uh, once they can identify these threats, they will know what to do when the threats become more significant and that would have impact on uh, the how the organization uh, does when crisis happens. Mm. You described earlier that uh, this crisis life cycle is universal, but could a life cycle be different depending on uh, the type of crisis? That's another great question. Uh, the life cycle could look different, but so far we have not looked at the different types of crisis and how the life cycle can can uh, uh, look differently. What we have identified are general principles and general trends that will apply for all crisis types. So potentially, uh, there could be a life cycle that monitors uh, cybersecurity issues, for example. Uh, there could be a life cycle that monitors uh, uh, natural disasters. But what we've done so far is to collapse everything together and put together a general framework that, that can apply to all types of crisis. So what part of the life cycle is the most difficult for brands and organizations and why? Well, another great question. That is certainly the, the, the stage of the life cycle when the crisis actually hits the fence, when crisis becomes evident publicly, uh, when people are talking about it, when the media uh, is uh, zoomed in on how the organization is managing the crisis. So I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, the Uvalde shooting in Texas. Uh, right now, the law enforcement officers are facing a lot of uh, scrutiny because of how they managed the shooting. Uh, at the crux of the matter is why did law enforcement officers took 77 minutes before they entered the building and uh, took control of the building? And what were they doing waiting at the side of the building while children were uh, being shot at. 
So right now, uh, the law enforcement officers will have to engage in some form of crisis communication to explain their situation. That's the most difficult part, simply because the social media is rife with a lot of speculation. The media is focusing its attention on the issue. Everybody is clamoring for answers and somebody has to say something and that somebody will have to come from the organisation or the entity under scrutiny. Mm. Okay. So the crisis life cycle, I think you've identified, and your point is that it could be used as a framework, right, for corporate communication professionals to use in practice. But um, I think you've also referred to two overarching approaches that, that might help. Perhaps you could tell us about those two overarching approaches. How do they apply to the crisis life cycle? Uh, certainly. So uh, in this uh, uh, contribution I've made to uh, your book, uh, I mentioned that life cycle is important to understand. But what is missing in current articulation of life cycle are two overarching approaches, which I uh, argue that it should be factored into how practitioners conduct their businesses. The first overarching idea is that there must be a constant mechanism in place to engage in organizational listening. So organizational listening is this concept uh, uh, developed by my colleague in Australia, Professor Jim McNamara, he argued that organizations should engage in listening so that at any given point in time, organizations understand what is going on, what is being talked about by parties internal and external to the organization. The second concept or the second overarching idea that I'm working into the whole idea of managing crisis through life cycle is the concept of dialogic communication. And this concept is developed by, again, my, my colleagues in Australia, professors Maureen Taylor and Michael Kent. They argue that dialogic communication is the, uh, is the art or is the idea where organizations are constantly talking to engaging stakeholders. So one is a concept that listens, that has inputs into the organization. The other one is relating to external stakeholders. These two concepts are very important because that will undergird the whole work and the, whole, the, the, the tasks that professionals need to do, even as they concentrate on the different specific tasks at the different stage of the life cycle, they need to constantly be listening. They need to constantly be talking and that will help them to collect the necessary intelligence to understand what kind of threats the organization is facing. Mm -hmm. So if we move to the bigger picture um, and look at digitalization, so what has changed for crisis life cycles with digitalization? Have they sped up or have they become slower or more spread out? Uh, that's a great question. Digitalization has made... Uh, made the uh, managing crisis even more challenging in a lot of ways because there are many issues surfacing online. Uh, now, digitalization uh, is a double-edged sword. On one hand, organizations can harness new platforms and means to communicate with stakeholders using whatever new social media to, uh, tools available. On the other hand, the same platforms that are used can be used to trigger crisis. So digitalization has made the environment even more challenging for organizations to manage. 
Uh, and there are several phenomenon that uh, uh, I've uh, identified in the book chapter on how it can create uh, impositions on organizations and what they should be thinking about when they think about managing social uh, uh, crisis on the social media front. Okay. So let me throw this into you. Uh, digitalization, it seems to have changed everything, but what perhaps has not changed due to digitalization when we talk about crisis and crisis communication? Another great question. Um, there are some principles, uh, even though the external environment has changed, there are some principles that remain uh, sacrosanct in a lot of ways, and they are timeless uh, in crisis communication. Uh, and some of these timeless principles articulated by different people who have been researching the field. Uh, and let me suggest uh, five principles that are useful for help to help us to understand uh, how to remain uh, 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 stoic and how to remain relevant in times of crisis. First, uh, the first principle is that uh, all business policies must be aligned with communication. So communication must be a part of business decisions. The second principle is the constant need to listen to the publics or stakeholders and to address their concerns. The third is always uh, social media has so many uh, uh, entry points but and so much information as well as misinformation. Uh, and one way to deal with misinformation is to leverage the mainstream media to help provide credible information. The fourth point is always to collaborate with credible partners so that credible information can be put out. And the last but not least uh, principle is for organizations to think about engaging in honest and open communication with stakeholders. And that will make uh, them look more credible in the eyes of stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Is there, Augustine, a dark side to the crisis life cycle when it comes to the digital sphere? Um, uh, it's, uh, it's a difficult question to answer, uh, Wilma, but I would, I would rephrase this answer in a different way if you, if you don't mind. Sure, go ahead. I would focus on the bright side of it, uh, instead of focusing on the dark side. And, uh, and to think about the bright side, I would draw reference on my membership with uh, the esteemed Arthur W. Page Society. Hmm. Uh, and uh, there were several principles that the Arthur Page, W. Page Society members ad adhere to. And these are the, again, timeless principles that we need to think about uh, in terms of uh, managing corporate communication in this day and age. The first principle is uh, always tell the truth, and we can't run away from that. Once an organization tell a lie, uh, it's going to find itself in deeper trouble. The second principle Arthur W. Page Society recommends is prove it with action. Don't just speak, but do the work and show the work to stakeholders. The third is always listen to stakeholders. And that's another timeless principle. It goes back to the earlier discussion on dialogic communication. The fourth principle Arthur W. Page Society recommends is to manage for tomorrow and uh, generate goodwill for tomorrow. 
The fifth principle is to conduct corporate communication as if the whole enterprise depends on it. So corporate communication is a critical part of businesses and how communica corporate communication is done by the organization reflects uh, deeply on the organization values and principles. The sixth principle uh, the society recommends is to, rec to realize that an organization's true character is expressed by the people. So everyone in the organization counts and everyone is an organizational representatives that carry with them the organization's brand and reputation. The last principle uh, is for our corporate communication to be conducted in a calm, patient, and they use the word good humored manner, meaning that uh, uh, everybody needs to remain cool heads and, and once in a while, we can uh, uh, show the other side of the organization to stakeholders that they don't normally see. So uh, instead of focus, back to your question, Wilma, instead of focusing on the dark side, I would say I would focus on the bright side. And the bright side, I would draw principles from what are the timeless principles that have kept our profession honest, ethical, and relevant to the marketplace. <laughs> I like that, Augustine. That reminds me of that song, uh, an old song, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. <laughs> yes, that's a great song, isn't it? <laughs> so let's move on to an example that you talk about, uh, um, this involving the electronic payment service provider NETS, N-E-T-S. I think it's in Singapore, right? Um, tell us about that and how that applies to the crisis life cycles. Well, the case study that uh, that was provided in the contribution was uh, based on what happened in Singapore, the electronic payment service provider, and how Nets had wanted to talk about uh, its uh, uh, cashless uh, payments uh, in retail outlets. But what they had done wrong, the campaign itself was uh, laudable, but what they had done wrong was they failed to see the, the threats that were uh, present in the, the marketplace, in the landscape, and they failed to capture and understand the threats because they did not do online scanning before. They failed to understand the local context in which these threats can be articulated. And that's, when, uh, that's why when the crisis happens, uh, uh, they were caught unawares and they failed to address the concerns of the marketplace. Now, uh, the story of the case can be read in, the, in your book, but uh, this basically dealt with this idea of failure to understand the multi-ethnic, multi-religious culture of Singapore. Uh, and when a Chinese person is used to portray uh, people of other ethnicity, it was as if making fun of the other ethnicity, which is not something that is very accepted uh, in Singapore. And if the organization in question had conducted or understood these threats way before, it would not have found itself in the situation it found itself in back in 2019. Mm -hmm. Right. So... Knowing that and knowing all that you know about crisis lifecycle, what advice do you give to communication professionals when they are facing a crisis in the digital environment? Um, thank you for your question. Uh, I think for communication professionals, um, there are a few things that they can think about. Firstly, uh, they can think about 
how they can uh, incorporate some of the tasks into their daily work or how they can work into in work in crisis planning as part of their corporate communication functions. So managing crisis uh, through a life cycle is something that they need to be uh, vigilantly uh, aware of. And I think uh, that is uh, one thing that they can take away. The second thing is that they should also think about constantly being engaged with stakeholders at any given point in time. So the dialogic communication needs to take place and needs to be more active rather than, in, uh, than being reticent. The listening needs to be more enhanced to capture uh, ground intelligence. Uh, these are things that are part of corporate communication functions, but they need to be uh, uh, worked in and incorporated to become a greater part of what they do than currently it is now. Okay, so Augustine, we have only a few more questions left at this point, but uh, my next question is, how can organizations prepare ahead of time for these? That's a wonderful question. So the life cycle has, uh, uh, in at each stages, tasks that uh, organization representatives need to do. Uh, so uh, in my contribution, I argue that I work on a crisis life cycle of four stages. So at every stage, uh, certain tasks are recommended. So for example, at the first stage or proactive stage, scanning is recommended in the second stage or strategic phase, identifying uh, online opinion leaders, uh, uh, understanding or creating dark side or hidden sites are important. At the third stage where the crisis hits the fence, communicating online, preparing the CEO is important. At the fourth stage, at the recovery phase, uh, tracking online sentiments, posting updates on the organization's own media is important. So if organization representatives understand that these are tasks that need to be done, they can start thinking about how to work this in and get these things prepared. So for example, uh, preparing a hidden side or dark side in times of crisis is certainly one of the key things that organizations should start thinking about. Because when the crisis hits, within the first hour, they need to turn or uh, they need to switch the website uh, using the hidden site as the default site. Uh, example, in a given air crash, uh, within an hour or so, it is recommended that the, the, the dark site emerges, which provides all the relevant information that stakeholders need to do or need to go to for information on the air crash. So the normal company website will be taken down and the dark side or hidden side will be put up immediately. So these kinds of things can be prepared way beforehand uh, so that when crisis is, they have the resources immediately available. Mm -hmm. Um, it just came to mind, uh, Augustine, that sometimes, uh, you know, the word cycle could be viewed as a circle metaphor. Um, do you think this the crisis life cycle framework that you've developed, could you see it as a circular or more of a linear life cycle? Hmm. That's a very interesting question. I would say... Uh, I would argue that this uh, life cycle comes in waves. Uh, 
Mm. Meaning that when the life cycle ends, the next uh, the organization starts preparing for the next wave. So I see it more in terms of waves rather uh, in linear form or in circular form. Uh, when we see waves, what it means that the when one wave ends, it prepares or it provides intelligence for the organization to prepare for the new wave, mm-hmm. and then they will prepare for the new wave. So. Uh, I, I would see it more in ways rather than uh, in in other forms. Okay, thanks. Um, one final question. We're looking to the future of uh, research in this area. Do you have uh, some ideas of how, what, what are the gaps that we still need to address in our research about this topic? Uh, that's a great question. I think um, um, uh, earlier on, you asked me about uh, uh, whether there are different life cycles for different crisis types. So that's something that we should start thinking about, whether there are unique factors of certain crisis that makes it different from uh, the usual life cycle. So for example, uh, uh, one of the things we can start thinking about is whether COVID-19 has a unique set of life cycle that is different from the rest of the uh, crisis that, uh, that that we are seeing. Mm-hmm. So that's one area of research that uh, I would think about. The second one is obviously how to equip professionals with uh, competencies uh, so that they understand that there are certain new capabilities they have to build. So enhancing the capabilities of the preparatory work in the life cycle is another area of research that I would love to embark on. And uh, the last but not least uh, idea that I, I would recommend is to how to enhance organizational listening and dialogic communication throughout the life cycle. Uh, currently, uh, some studies have uh, uh, equipped us with certain understanding but I think we can do more as we drill deeper into these ideas and help us to understand the landscape better. Mm -hmm. Well, Augustine, we can't thank you enough for the time that you've taken to talk to us on this important topic of crisis life cycles. So thank you very much for being with us on this topic. Thank Thank you you very much. for having me, Wilmer and Mark. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You were listening to the Digital Corporate Communication, DCC Podcast. 